Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Long-Term Investing Podcast with Baskin Wealth. My name is Barry Schwartz. I'm the Chief Investment Officer at Baskin Wealth Management, and we are recording this today on December 9th. And uh, quick disclaimer, everything we talk about here is for informational purposes only. If you, if you are a Baskin Wealth client and you have any questions about any of the stocks we talk about, please reach out directly to your portfolio manager. Please do your own research. And uh, I'm joined today by the one and only Ernest Wong. Ernest, how are you doing today? Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you too, Barry. Ernest, so exciting week for me. I got to finally see Mark Leonard live and in person. Mark Leonard, the infamous and famous CEO of Constellation Software. He has the most gigantic Santa Claus beard. He has a ponytail. He's about six foot eight. He's an imposing figure, but also one of the most humble people I've, I've ever listened to. And um, he's a mensch. Do you know what the word mensch is, Ernest? No, I don't. It's a Jewish word, and it means just a really good guy. He does, he does the right thing at the right time. And I was at a conference put on by National Bank, and Mark Leonard came to speak, not really to talk about Constellation Software, the company that he is still uh, involved in, but to talk to university students about business and life and uh, what they should focus on in their careers. And it was a wonderful conversation. Mark Leonard is a voracious reader, kind of like Charlie Munger. He is fascinated by business history books. He says he has a collection of over 400 business history books. And he says, if you want to become a better investor, read about business history, read about the guys who've been successful, the ones who have failed, and even the fraudsters, like a Sam, possibly a Sam Bankman Freed. Um, that was a that was a great uh, a, a great lecture that he gave. I also uh, the C the CFO I think of Constellation Software is that his, uh, Jamal right? He's the CFO, yes. Ernest. Yes, that's he right. also yeah. So uh, Jamal uh, also gave a presentation uh, talking about uh, Constellation Software and, and what the, they he sees going forward, and and uh, pretty some pretty cool tidbits that I've uh, tweeted out. But the main point that Constellation Software is seeing is the growth continues. They have uh, so many acquisition targets and around the globe. They just need to get their name more well-known, create more relationships so they can continue to deploy capital. And unlike some other technology companies, they, they're not really seeing any impact because of what's going on in the macro environment. They're still just as confident as they were when they started the company 16 years ago. Ernest, in 2006, Constellation Software went public. And if you would have put $10,000 into Constellation Software, uh, want to guess what it would be worth today at $10,000? Um, maybe $2 million. Yeah, pretty good. $1.2 million. So it, it, it's, you know, that's, an, a, that's a terrific return. And uh, we should only be so lucky to even earn uh, uh, one-tenth of that. For But, uh, you know, if you find a great idea and the business is still growing and the valuation stays reasonable, don't sell. And that's the lesson learned from Constellation Software. I don't know if 10,000 invested today is going to turn into $1.2 million in 16 years from now. But I'm fairly certain that it's going to be uh, uh, generating a great return for our clients and for me personally. Ernest, any comments on Constellation Software? 
Yeah, I think for for those who are not as familiar with Constellation, um, Constellation is is it's not a traditional company in the sense that they make a product and and they sell it like McDonald's. Uh, what what it is, it's it's a collection of very very small software businesses. So uh, one of the so for as an example, uh, um, they might provide the software that allows your local library to organize its books um, or allow transit systems in, in like the TTC to, to, to operate uh, more efficiently. And as you can imagine, these are very, um, these are very stable, uh, sticky cash flow streams mm-hmm. uh, and Constellation continues to acquire more of these. They, 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 if you look at their annual report, every, every, every quarter they add more and more verticals to their businesses and they continue to make acquisitions of these very small businesses. So one of the things that uh, the market has been concerned about uh, with regards to Constellation is that they are starting to run out of acquisition targets. Mm-hmm. But, but that was something that Mark Leonard talked about, wasn't it? Yes. That, so the concern is that I think Constellation has made 700 acquisitions since it started, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. So uh, one of the worries was, well, they've already picked off the low-hanging fruit. Now there's private equity who is also competing against Constellation to make acquisitions. And how many more acquisitions can it continue to make? And so Jamal, the CFO, actually answered that question. And he said, in 2015, we disclosed that there's about 40,000 companies in our database that we're, that we know about, that we're in contact with, that one day maybe we could acquire. And that was 2015. Now, seven years later, there's he's like, there are thousands and thousands more. And so really, the point is, there's no shortage of the amount of companies that Constellation can acquire. It's really just creating relationships and uh, being patient. And so Constellation says it wants to double the capital it deploys on these acquisitions. I think it, what is it deploying about a billion dollars a year or so? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. So it feels it can do a lot more. It just uh, has to get knocked down the knock on the doors of these companies and let them know. And unlike private equity, Constellation Software is a home for sellers of their businesses. Private equity sometimes will kick out the entire management team, try and leverage it, and then uh, maybe try to take it public again or whatever they do. Whereas Constellation's like, we'll buy you. Uh, if you want to stick around, your management wants to stick around, great, please do. And let's try and grow your business together. And that's so exciting. And, and as an as owners of a business like we are, uh, that's what we would love to hear. If one day we, you know, if, we, if I decided to sell, I wouldn't want everybody uh, working for me to be kicked out and closed, the doors closed. And so that's, uh, the, you know, that, that's the enticing thing about Constellation Software. It's the Warren Buffett model. Mark Leonard is following it to a T, but with software. And so we're shareholders. I think some of our clients, uh, we started buying the shares at about $1,000 a share. It's over 2000 today. And I hope uh, that we turn that 2000 into a lot more from here. So uh, any final things to say on Constellation? Yeah, I think it's, 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 kind, of, it's kind of incredible that you can have a company that was up with the share price up 2000% over a decade or something like that, and <laughs> still have regrets about 
like things that you could have done better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was, um, what were some of the things that you said Mark Leonard thought he could do better? Basically, he said when he started the company, he thought that uh, if he could do it all over again today, he would bonus or compensate uh, people uh, to try and create more organic growth than acquiring growth. So Constellation Software, once again, acquires companies. That's how it grows. It, it uses the free cash flow that it generates from a company it acquires to keep on buying more companies, kind of like an amoeba. It just keeps on splitting and growing and splitting and growing. Um, but he said that if he would have focused a little bit more on rewarding companies that on their actual growth, instead of acquiring new companies, uh, the results would have been even more spectacular. And they're working hard to try and change that going forward. So stay tuned. Uh, the consolation growth story is not over. So Ernest, let's move on and talk about a company that we owned in a little bit uh, of an allocation, Restaurant Brands, and we we actually bought a lot more this week for our clients. And so let's talk about uh, Restaurant Brands, who they are, why we love it, and what we think uh, could happen if things go right. So over to you. Right. So Restaurant Brands is the parent company of Tim Hortons, Burger King, uh, Popeye's Chicken and Firehouse Subs. And they are a franchiser, which means that they don't directly run the stores. They uh, they franchise the store out to an operator and they simply collect a fee uh, for the of the sales that go through that restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, and these are uh, fantastic businesses. Um, Tim Hortons is the largest coffee chain in Canada. Uh, everybody drinks Tim Hortons. There's one on basically every street corner. Um, <laughs> Sometimes Burger, there's two on the same street corner. Yeah. Burger King is second largest burger burger chain in the world. Um, but the problem is that under private equity ownership, uh, the focus has been on cost cutting rather than investing in the business. And so what we saw was that, and this was, this was obvious to like Canadians uh, who were watching Tim Hortons. Mm-hmm. There was no consistent product strategy at, uh, at Tim Hortons. Uh, they never invested in technology. There was, mm-hmm. they didn't even launch an app until 2017, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. And, and just, and the food wasn't good. Like, like people didn't mm-hmm. want to, people didn't want to drink their coffee and eat their food. So Tim Hortons was a, a publicly traded company on the Toronto Stock Exchange for many years. And our clients actually owned Tim Hortons and uh, restaurant brands or 3G uh, acquired Tim Hortons in a weird transaction. I think Bill Ackman, famous investor, and Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway were involved in this transaction and uh, merged it with Burger King. And this is how it's this is the genesis, I think, of 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 what where where it's been, and of course, I don't think Tim Hortons ever had great food or amazing coffee, but uh, you know, certainly it's under the new ownership. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of issues and problems, not necessarily for the customers, but more for the franchisees. And the franchisees are the customers. They they are the ones you keep happy. If you make them happy, then your cust- then they'll be happy, and your the end customers will be happy. And then you just have a lovely, lovely relationship. 
And and as a result of all these issues that were going on uh, inside their businesses, uh, mm-hmm. restaurant brands shares traded at a much lower multiple than basically every other fast food chain, uh, like McDonald's or or Domino's Pizza or or even KFC, like Yum Brands. So so the stock has been trading at a discount to other fast food type companies. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. And and here's why we think it will change because two weeks ago, restaurant brands announced that it will be hiring Patrick Doyle as the executive chairman of restaurant brands. And Patrick Doyle uh, is the former CEO of Domino's Pizza. Uh, during his time as CEO, which was between 2010 and 2017, Domino's was one of the best performing stocks in the in the US. Uh, the shares were up about 23 times. Uh, wow, kind of like a consolation software move. Exactly. And mm-hmm. and the reason why um, the reason why I think he will be able to uh, Doyle will be able to make a change at restaurant brands is because Well, but wait, wait, back up. Let let's just talk about some of the things that Doyle did at at, at Domino's. Uh, uh, I got a list here of, of some of the things that he achieved. He doubled sales uh, over his time from 2010 to 2018. They had 29 quarters in a row of same store sales growth. So that's pretty fascinating. Over seven years of growing sales, he more than doubled the amount of stores uh, in the US. He doubled the returns that a franchisee earns from the store. Right. Imagine you're a franchisee and you're making, I don't know, five hundred thousand dollars a year. And then all of a sudden, seven years later, you're making a million dollars a year. Holy smokes. <laughs> That's worked out well for everybody. All right. So I sorry I interrupted you, but I just wanted to just uh sing the praises of Patrick Doyle. Right. And and the reason and, and the way that he he did all those things at Domino's was by investing in in technology, um, mm-hmm. investing in the digital app, investing in the the pizza tracker. If you use, if you if you eat Domino's, yes, he, he focused on food quality. Um, there, there was a a very famous ad campaign that Domino's ran in in 2010, where they basically admitted that their pizza sucks, and that they understood uh, that people didn't like the food, mm-hmm. and so they 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 totally revamped the menu and made a new pizza that that tasted a lot better, and yeah. and people actually do like it a lot better. And so I think the parallels between where Domino's was at in 2009 mm-hmm. and where restaurant brands is, uh, especially with Burger King and, and Tim Hortons is, is very, is very similar. Like both were tired brands yes. where, uh, the, there was a general perception that the food quality was not good. And so these are the things that I think. And, and and more importantly, the franchisees were not happy as well because yes. the performance of the the performance was not good, and and the franchisees weren't making money, and so yeah, they're beating themselves up. They're like, well, I should have just bought a Domino's Pizza franchise or a Pizza Pizza franchise instead of throwing out money on Tim Hortons where I haven't had growth. Exactly, mm-hmm. and so these are the things that I think um, that can be changed at at, at restaurant brands. Um, yeah. I think there's certainly a lot of room to improve the food uh, at both brands. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of opportunities to simplify the business in a way that will make money for franchisees. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, definitely a lot of room to invest in technology. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot of upside from, from having somebody with this kind of expertise as the, the executive chair. And in the meantime, Ernest, prior to the announcement of Patrick Doyle uh, becoming chairman, uh, the restaurant brand's shares were actually doing okay. And the turnaround, I think, is already in place. We, you saw same-store sales improvements at Tim Hortons in the last few quarters that were tremendous. Burger King is still under pressure. You see uh, the number of Popeye store openings around the globe continue to uh, increase a lot. And, uh, you know, so what's what's your take on, on you know, the cur- even if Patrick Doyle doesn't deliver, what's your take on the current company right now? Well, I think this is the this is this is the interesting thing is that the brands, especially Tim Hortons, is such a strong brand that they don't have to do anything. It's it's like the business that Warren Buffett says it's the 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 a business that's so great that an idiot can run it because okay. eventually somebody will run it and an idiot will run it. And we saw that uh, under under three G's management, where mm-hmm. Tim Hortons. Um, was poorly managed uh, yes. from every from every angle, but revenues were about flat because people would still go to Tim Hortons and buy their coffee and eat Timbits, buy, buy Timbits for their kids. I love Timbits. So, so I think I think in a even even if Patrick Doyle just goes there, collects his paychecks and sits on his hands, like Tim Hortons is still going to keep doing what it does. And mm-hmm. as you pointed out before, they were already working on a turnaround plan, which made a lot of sense. So at the current valuation, I don't I don't really see a lot of downside to the stock. Okay. So let's talk quickly about, because there was an article in the Globe and Mail, and there was a lot of uh, concern about Patrick Doyle and the compensation plan that he's going to get. We talked about compensation plans with uh, Constellation Software, and, and Mark Leonard regretted not uh, compensating uh, his staff on organic growth. Isn't this exactly what um, restaurant brands is dangling in front of Patrick Doyle? And why exactly is it so controversial? I think it's controversial for, for a few reasons. Number one is that it's a, it's a very large amount of money. Um, yes. Well over nine figures uh, in total, total compensation. Although he, he could be a billionaire if everything works out. Yes. To the best. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Well, so I saw the other day, like Aaron Judge, uh, you know, for the Yankees got signed to a $70 million a year contract. I don't think he gets $70 million a year unless he, you know, went, leads the league in home runs and he lead, and they get and the Yankees win the World Series. I mean, those contracts are if if everything wonderful happens. But this is kind of the same thing for Patrick Doyle, right? Everything right. has to go right. Yes. Right. And, and, and that's what it takes to attract a superstar to the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think now, I think there are like questions about whether it's fair for lower, lower level employees who might make $10 an hour at Burger King. But yeah. I think that's new, that's for a different discussion. Mm-hmm. But the, but the reality is if you, as a shareholder, you want somebody who has a proven track record of turning around underperforming fast food businesses to run your business, then you got to pay him. Well, so let's talk. I mean, Domino's Pizza under Patrick Doyle compounded. The stock compounded at 46% a year. 
like do the math. Uh, it, if we can even get uh, a small part of that, uh, paying Patrick Doyle will be well worth it for shareholders. This has been an underperforming stock for the past three or four years. It's done okay this year, but I think all kind of fast food companies have done okay because in the head into a recession or worry about a recession, uh, those kind of companies see, can be seen as a little bit more recession resistant. But um, I don't think we have any concerns about the the compensation and it's pay to play. He has to deliver. He's not going to get that billion dollars if the stock goes nowhere and, uh, and, and the results are not spectacular. Uh, I think I think one last point about restaurant brands mm -hmm. um, uh, and Patrick Doyle that's that's interesting here is that Bill Ackman who, uh, is is very likely involved in the recruitment of Patrick Doyle and yeah. this is interesting because the same Bill Ackman um, did a very similar play at CP Rail. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember the year, but in when he it, Bill Ackman. CP Rail was underperforming railroad for many years. Correct. Bill Ackman <laughs> yeah. came in and mm -hmm. hired Hunter Harrison, which is a very, which is a legendary executive in the railroad industry, well yes. known for turning around CN Rail. Yes, and a book recommendation, Railroader by Howard Green. If you want to learn about the genius of Hunter Harrison and how all the rail, like look at CN Rail and CP Rail, their 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 stocks are near all time highs this year. As we head into a recession, the railroads have really turned it around. Anyways, I digress. Ackman and the board convinced Hunter Harrison to become the CEO of CP Rail with a very, very generous stock options plan, which was, yeah. um, which, which, which was controversial at the time as well. And sure enough, uh, under his leadership, CP Rail became the best-in-class rail railroad until he stepped out. So I think mm -hmm. a, I think, I think. That's, that gives you a taste of kind of the upside that restaurant brands could have if if Patrick Doyle is able to execute what he did at Domino's Pizza. Yes. So, and I've learned this firsthand from experience. Uh, Baskin Wealth clients own shares of CP Rail pre Hunter Harrison coming back in with Ackman. And the stock popped on the news. The stock moved up about 30% from about $60 to $80 a share. We, we said, railroads are hard to turn around. We don't know how long Hunter Harrison is going to be there. His compensation plan looks insane. We sold the shares. Ernest, had we held those shares, we would have made five times our money um, in a very short period of time. So there's been a little pop on restaurant brand shares, I think 10% since the announcement of Patrick Doyle. If he's successful... We're, we hope we're going to make multiples of our um, uh, of our return here. And so that's why we're excited to be shareholders. And thank you for listening to us about that thesis. So Ernest, what's your favorite thing to order at Tim Hortons? Well, I don't... After my, So my kids, my, my son has math class on Monday nights, and mm -hmm. there's a Tim Hortons right next to the school. So, yeah. so after the class, um, every time, we always go and order the... the the, the Timbits with the sprinkles. Yes. I, like, I think maybe I don't like, maybe they're, they're for kids. Like I never really understood why you would eat like donuts with sprinkles on it, but, um, but they it's love a reward. it. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's exactly. a reward for doing a good job at math. Class. I, uh, the April apple fritters are for me to die for. 
Um, every time I walk past one, I get a conditioned response that I should walk in and get an apple fritter and a, a coffee. But luckily, I uh, can control myself. Um, are you reading anything interesting or uh, any podcast, anything you want to recommend? So I listened to a very interesting podcast about the future of video games. Um, it was uh, from a podcast called The Deconstructor of Fun. And I think what was really interesting is that, especially given the news that Activision, uh, Microsoft, may, the, 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 the deal mm -hmm. between Activision and Microsoft may be blocked by the regulators, is that there's no doubt that, that people are going to be playing a lot of video games going forward. But like the, the space is just changing so quickly that like it's 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 really hard to get a sense of of how how people are going to be playing even, like even three to five years from now. And I think that was I think I think it's a very good podcast that I encourage like anybody who's interested in video games to take a look. It's called the yeah. Deconstructor of Fun. Deconstructor of Fun. Cool. Um, I I'm reading a book called The End Is Always Near by Dan Carlin. Dan uh, has a po podcast called Hardcore History. I just found, I, I, it's a it's an interesting book if you want to want to learn about um, all the tough times the world has had. Uh, but the Romans, the Assyrians. Did you know that the Assyrians were a dominant empire for 1700 years? <laughs> In North America, what has it been 300 years? We're we're nothing. It's so it's a uh, you know if you if you love to learn about history and, and in a cool way, it's it's pretty pretty fascinating. So Ernest, thanks again for joining us today, and I hope everybody has a great weekend. And always, once again, we love to hear your feedback. Uh, we're going to post this uh, on Twitter, and and so uh, you know, please let us know if you have any questions or anything you want to talk about, and uh, we'll leave it there. So thank you again. All the best, everybody. Bye bye.